to pursue God. Um, and they're not going to tolerate being miserable because he's come for them. Um, you'll, you'll see that there's been a couple of changes if you haven't been here in the last week or so. Um, the landlord got cold feet where we were going to be moving to. He didn't want to make some alterations to the building, which is his business, it's his building. He didn't want to make some alterations to the building, so we've had to um, come here back again and kind of consolidate. So what we're going to be doing for this year and trusting constantly that God's got a plan for us. We're not going to pursue it to such an extent that we get ourselves into trouble. We're going to trust God to unfold his plan for us because he's busy with his church, not just city church. He's busy with his, his church in the city. And maybe he moves things around so that the whole church can, can uh, be, be part of what he's doing. We hope that's what, what is happening. But we've put a door in, in, an, in there if, to give us access to the, the Royal Academy next door. We're going to be serving coffee there. Um, we're going to be gathering there. When we come to the service, we're going to be gathering there. And then we're going to have an entrance over there. We'll most probably put these rows this way just to make it easier to get access. These rows this way. There are going to be two rows taken out there. And then we can get gain access and to, to um, the rest of the building through that passageway, which will be at the back. We're going to be taking a lot of that furniture out there, and we're going to be putting more chairs in, in that area over there. We're going to put be putting a screen up there as well. So in the beginning, it'll just be for more room, but um, maybe, hopefully in a month's time, it'll be for two services. And it'll be just easy for one service to come in and another service to go out via the exit over there. So the entrance is going to turn into an exit, and our entrance is going to be next door. So, uh, so we can maybe get more accommodation um, for us as a, as a church and an entrance. I'm excited about it because... We're not paying a landlord something he's not connected at all. We are helping with the, the Royal Academy next door. Uh, we're helping with FCC over here, and we're helping City Church at the same time. So it's a wonderful arrangement, I think. Already we've recovered our rental over and over and over again. Don't tell FCC that. But we've recovered our rental over and over and over again by just being able to use this facility, which I know isn't ideal, but it's good. And we'll look back on this time and we'll say, Lord, wasn't that a good season? Really. And um, it'll, be, it'll be the beginnings, the emb embryo stage of, of City Church was over here. I, um, obviously, when we look at a new year, um, let, me, let me interrupt myself. A, a, a couple of years ago, I came across a file that I put together 30 years ago when we started a church here in George. And I was embarrassed to see the goals I put in place. I was, I was encouraged to see that so many of them had been achieved, but I was embarrassed to think that I was thinking at that time that this was a relevant spiritual goal. You know what I'm saying? When you think of a building, when you think of the number of people in, 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 in a building, number of people in a church, I don't believe it honors God to think of the, a number of people. I think it honors God when we concentrate on our, on our hearts and on our lives and leave the building up to him of what the church looks like. Um, I, I thoroughly believe that a, there's no such thing as a good small church. 
Because if we're good and we're, we're small and we're good and we are meeting the requirements that God has got for us, we'll grow. God's, God's into growth. But that's not my business. <laughs> it's his business as far as, as far as that's concerned. So when, we, um, when we're thinking of the year, I, I really want us to look at it, really not transitioning from miracles now to be, being set apart. Being set apart, I think, is great for us as a, as a church because it reminds us that at some time or other, as God is pursuing us and as we are walking away from him, at some time or other, we need to stop and say, what's going on here? What's happening is not what I'm reading in Scripture. What's, what's, what's going on with me, Lord? And a fast is good for that. A time that we can come to, to the Lord and put ourselves aside and say, Lord, show me, teach me. Show me your ways. The prayer I think I pray more than any other is, Lord, teach me your ways. Show me your ways so that I can follow you the way you want me to follow and not the way that I want to follow. I believe in, in miracles, and for the rest of my life, I'll believe in miracles, not only just because I was saved through a miracle that I saw, physically saw with my own two eyes, and I cannot deny, and I've had to come back to that moment often. I've built a little memorial around it, and I've come back to that moment where God saved my life, and he transformed my life radically, and I've gone back to that moment, so it's, it's important to me. I remind myself often that Jesus uh, healed the lepers, he opened blind eyes. He healed the lame that they walked again. The dead were brought back to life. He walked on water. He multiplied food. And most of all, he told us to go and be disciples. And even more. His disciples just continued in that vein. Because when Jesus had left, they took him seriously at his word. To the extent that even their shadows we're healing people. And it's amazing when you think of God's ability to intervene in our lives in such a way that he wants to see our lives transformed from the inside out. Not only just saved, but from the inside out. And so he, he promised us in Mark 16 that these signs will also accompany those who believe. Not, it's not a, a call to the professional ministry. It's to those who believe. So there's none of us, whatever work that we're doing, wherever we find ourselves, there's none of us who should say, I, I got a phone call from someone once who said, Dave, will you please come to the beach tomorrow? He's a surfer. So I said to him, why? So he said, there's a guy I've been witnessing to for the last two months, and he wants to give his life to the Lord. I said, no, I'm not going to go to the beach. I'm not a surfer. I can't surf. I really am scared of the sharks. So why don't you lead him to the Lord? Why don't you lead, lead him to Christ? You lead him to the Lord. You take responsibility for his life. You become a disciple maker. So every single one of us is called to step into that gap. It's not something that we do in the professional basis to the, to the church, professional church, whatever, corporate church. It's something that God wants all of us to step into as he wants us to become disciple makers, people that get are in, integrally involved in people's, in people's lives. And these signs, and these signs will accompany those who believe in my name. 
I will drive out demons. Say that. In, my, in his name, I will drive out demons. Don't be scared of him. Don't be scared. You've got the cross. You've got his name. Don't be scared. You will, at some, if you make a decision to do it, you'll, you'll get to know them. I promise you. I will drive out demons. I will speak with new tongues. I will pick up snakes with my hands. Listen, my grandson is picking up snakes with his hands. He came to his dad on the farm the other day with a, with a snake. And it didn't bite him. And it didn't hurt him. And he's six. And I will drink deadly poison. And I know somebody that it's happened to. A missionary in the Congo. They tried to kill him. The witch doctors tried to kill him. And they gave him deadly poison. The next morning he walked out and he greeted the new day. And everybody came to Jesus because he wasn't dead. And they will not be hurt at all. They will place their hands on the sick. I will place my hands on the sick. And they will get well. Now I say this to myself often. And I hope we can encourage ourselves with this. I've placed my hands on many people who haven't got well. You might have too. I'm not giving up. Because I'm not seeing the result. The result is up to Jesus. It's not up to me. I don't know what's going on between them and them. I don't know what's going on. I just know that God has called me to apply his grace and love to people. And I'm not going to give up because something doesn't happen between them and God. Maybe he's busy on another journey with them, which might be important for them at that time. We're not here just for miracles. Jesus said, when you heal the sick, tell them that the kingdom has come. And he healed them. He said, the reality is that his kingdom, his rulership, has come, is coming, and will come. His rulership on this earth. God hasn't somehow just abandoned the earth. I was reading this morning on a Christian um, news site that thousands of Muslims in Gaza now are having divine encounters with Jesus every day. Every day. This guy says that when the bombs stop, the churches are going to fall. This is what a Muslim, he was, he was a, he was a Muslim uh, terrorist. And he says they're having encounters of Jesus throughout that whole, the whole Gaza Strip. God's got a heart for them. They're suffering. God's got a heart for them. He'll, he'll meet them. Wouldn't that be wonderful? If the testimony that comes out of the Middle East is that Jesus is in control, his kingdom is a kingdom without any end. That is why I will pursue not only miraculous powers, but formative and transformative powers. That's why I'm going to pursue discipleship. That's why I'm going to lead people as best I can to the Lord. That's why I'm going to... I'm gonna, um, Make sure that I understand the word of God so that I can communicate it clearly to someone who's a seeker. And I want, it, it's not just a matter of praying and saying, well, it's just between you and God. We need to come to the place where we bow our knee before him, all of us. 
those who are having a time of difficulty, time of trouble, the minute that they bow their knee, they'll come to a place closer to their healing and salvation. That's why the formative power of Jesus to take a sinner and take the sin out of him and place the presence of Jesus into him is the biggest miracle that we can experience. It takes us away from, from definite hell and destruction and death, and it takes us and translates us into the kingdom of light, where our future is assured. We can go to heaven with a sick body. I know we can't. Our bodies don't go to heaven. But we can go to heaven with a sick body. But we won't see heaven with a sick soul and an unregenerated spirit. There's hell for that, which is sad. And that's why we are here, is so that we can help to bring in the lost and so that the lost can find their salvation in Jesus. So we need to be set apart for that. Don't you agree? I mean, this is, a, this is a ministry that all of us need to be able to come to a place. And I'm hoping every single one of you is sitting there this morning and say, but how can I play my part? How can I be set apart to be inter intimately involved with the miracle working power of Jesus? His transformative power, his regenerative power to regenerate us and make us born again like new. How can I be involved in that? The best way that we can be involved in it, first of all, is to say, Lord, I want to pray that over this week, you will take your spotlight of heaven and shine it into the filth in my own heart. Shine it into my heart, the stuff that is still so flesh and so me and so greed and, 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 and so judgmental and so unforgiving and, and hard in my heart. Show me, Lord the best way that we can do the best thing that we can do if we're going to give somebody grace and somebody mercy and somebody the power of God that it has to come with a Christ-like nature that's why for me vision is not all that critically important I want to speak to uh, next week mainly about us adopting a new culture and letting that culture become part of us I don't want us to be able to recite the vision, the corporate vision of, of what City Church is about. That means very little to me. What I want to do is for us to be able to walk with pure hearts before God, in unity with one another, not because we want to see the church full, but because we want to see the presence of God come. And so to change our culture is far more important to me than having a compelling vision or a mission statement that is that will that blow our socks off and and keep us entertained for a week or two when the when the mission becomes a mission of constantly seeking the presence of God and finding him in everything we say and do it life becomes a joy for us and for him because now we've got a place we can come to George and say these are mine these are mine. A Christ-centered culture doesn't just happen. A Christ-centered culture is a culture where, where Christ comes and every decision that we make flows out of our worldview of Christ being number one in our lives. And believe me or not, that is sometimes painful. 
It's sometimes painful when we've got to make that kind of decision. What is culture? Let's look at the definition of culture. <coughs> culture, and this is a, 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 an anthropologist's view on culture. Now, anthropologists are people that study peoples, groups, and different tribes and different, different people groups. He says, and it's, it's Edward Taylor, it's, <coughs> culture is a complex whole which includes knowledge, belief, art, morals, law, customs, and any other capabilities and habits acquired by man as a member of society, which would include our religious adherence and beliefs, because that's our belief system. So that's a culture. And it's a culture, it's, 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 it's not that there's a, that there's a culture which is, which is good and bad. It's just that that would define a culture. And so there would be many things that would define a culture of an East African or the culture of a West African or the culture of a South African or the culture of an Afrikaans-speaking South African that loves to bribe. You know what I'm saying? That it's a cultural identity that we start to pick up. This culture loves to do these things. This is how they believe. This is how they behave. This is the belief structure that has formed and shaped the way they do things. That we can describe that as a, as a unique culture. It's a culture that we have adopted as a people. And so I'm trusting that we as a, as a people of God will understand, delve a little bit deeper to find out what the culture is that we need to adhere to for God to describe his name over us and in us and through us. So that we are known as Christians who are like this. The early church, I saw on, t on uh, TV quite a long time ago, someone said to this guy who studied the life of the early Christians, he said, what would the outsiders have said about the Christians just after Jesus left? He said, no, they, you don't have to think about it. He said, they said, these are the people who love unconditionally, the early Christians. Isn't that amazing? Already they were starting to get the cultural identity that they were people who love unconditionally. That's what describes culture. Then there's a prevailing culture. Word I'm going to be using over the next couple of weeks. There's a prevailing culture. Now prevailing means <coughs> that that is the common place where it comes. For instance, they'll say there's a prevailing wind. The prevailing wind, whether it comes from the southwest, brings rain. The prevailing weather condition, when it comes from the north, brings brings verb conditions, and then after that we could we could get some rain. That's the prevailing weather. Con those are the conditions that are unique to certain things which happen within a culture. There's a prevailing culture. The prevailing wind in an area is the type of wind that blows over the area most of the time. Prevailing culture consists of activities such as arts, customs, philosophy, which is considered to be important for the development of civilization and in people's minds. So that's the prevailing culture. We would, I want to call that our prevailing culture over the next couple of, of weeks, the culture out there. We are living, we're a unique culture, living in a prevailing culture, and how would we describe our prevailing culture? How would you describe the culture that we are living in in George, in South Africa? Interesting, isn't it? When we start to think for a moment, we just get quiet and we say to ourselves, what is the atmosphere in which we are ministering? 
What are the issues that we are struggling with? What are the issues that our society... That's the prevailing culture that is influencing the people, the residents of our city, if we get fairly unique about our prevailing culture, if about those in George. And so we're a culture within that culture. We form a unique culture within a prevailing culture. But I want to say, I want to... And I, and I want to end on, 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 on this thought. I want to say that as God called you and me to be a revolutionary or a pioneer, what's he called you to? Has he called you to be a revolutionary or a pioneer? I want to submit to you this morning that just about every one of those disciples would have classed themselves as a revolutionary. Why? Because they willingly gave their lives up for what they believed. Willingly. And so it wasn't just that they were moving into a culture and kind of making a, a, a headway in the culture. It was that they moved into the culture and said, this is God and this is how he affects culture. And they were happy to live that to the point of death. We need, to, we need to make up our minds as to how we want to see our society, our community change. Because it helps us to understand how we think. I was reading, um, there's, a, there's, a, there's a book, and, and I love reading old church history. Um, and, and this was written right, this was written by the 12 apostles. They put this together. They took, they took the writings, the teachings of the 12 apostles, and put them together. They only found the whole thing, the whole concise thing in the 1800s. But they knew it existed because there was a lot written about it. And what it is, it's a, it's a collection of writings as to say, what does a new Christian look like? What does a new Christian look like? How do we baptize people? One of the ways in which they baptized people in the early church, right in the beginning, was that the people who they had to obviously disciple them, they had to fully understand what they were giving themselves up to, to the point of maybe dying for their faith, new faith. The, peop the person who was baptizing him had to fast for two days. And the, purple, the person being baptized had to fast for two days. And then they would baptize him, and then they were filled with the Holy Spirit. I mean, isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? As soon as they started to say, yes, we want to take this new life seriously. When we're going into the water, we are dying. And we are rising to this new life. It wasn't that just let's, let's get a group of people together and we're going to baptize people. It wasn't taken casually. People understood that the process of baptism meant dying to the flesh and living to Christ. Then you don't sit with pawns in Christians. When that happens, then you don't sit with, with a little bit of sin and hoping that God doesn't see me. Then you don't have people struggling with their tax returns, wondering how they must be honest on their tax returns. And I'm fiddling now. I know I'm fiddling. But the thing is, is that God has, we have to be serious with it. God's serious about it. We have to. If we want to see his healing, his deliverance, his power expressed in our community, and I'm not talking at you, please, I'm including myself in that this morning as well. Because sometimes I don't like what I see in my own life. So I'm not judging. But we have to come to the place 
where we say to ourselves, Lord, I'm serious about this. I want to be a revolutionary. I want to deal with this thing as if it's life and death. This thing that I see. And there's no harm. That's why we need to disciple one another. Counsel one another. Support one another. Through some of this stuff. That's why I'm so, can I say, proud of FBC. That we've got a place where you can come and say, this is the chacha I'm sitting with. Help me. Help me. You see, there's a, we've got a counterculture. Our culture is against the prevailing culture. It's, we can never. Paul in the book of Galatians chapter 3, Paul's frustration is flowing out. You can see in the beginning of that chapter, he says, who has bewitched you? You started in the flesh. You started in the spirit. Now you're going into the flesh. Thank the Lord for Paul. That counterculture is important that all of us understand that that's what God is calling us to as a people. Not to make friends with the world. It's not to look a little bit like the world. But it's to be different from. To stick out above. To be a beacon of light and hope for those in the world that are looking for a savior. This is counterculture. These statements off from the scripture. Love your enemies. Love your enemies. I got off Facebook 10 years ago because of vitriol. Facebook, I mean, Facebook is one of the tamest, I believe. But of the, the chaka that started coming out of people, the judgment, the criticism, they don't even know anybody. They're sitting there with a keyboard in front of them and they're judging people. Love your enemies. I can't allow stuff like that to pollute my life. Turn the other cheek. <laughs> you go to court and make the court go, phew. I'm not talking about us, I'm talking about the prevailing culture. That's why we've got a counterculture. Forgive with no limit. 70 times, forgive. Someone does something to you, forgive them. There's, surely there's a, there's a time when I can stop forgiving. Give the coat. If someone asks for your jacket, give them your coat as well. Someone asks you to go one mile or forces you to go one mile. In fact, they could force you to go one mile. Go two. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I'm challenged by this. I'm deeply challenged by this. I'd love to I'd love to use these as a review for my for my week of fasting. I don't know about you, but I I look at the, some of them and I say, Joe, someone steals my coat, I want to put up an alarm and say, Don't come near my coat. You don't want to pay the company more money to keep the people further away. Give to the one who comes to borrow something without holding back. Someone wants to borrow from me, give to me. And pray for those who persecute you. And if not, pray, Lord, I want to pray fire down from heaven. 
maybe during this week of fasting, we can really ask the Lord to, to use us to help us to see our role as either a revolutionary or a pioneer. And I'm not saying, I'm saying at times we do need a pioneer. So I'm not saying that we're not a pioneer at all. It's times where we really do need the pioneer. But at heart, am I a revolutionary or am I, am I a pioneer? I'd love to call myself a revolutionary. I think there was a time when I could have done it much easier than after years of ministry. I think there was times when I could have, when I was just first saved, born again, just gone into the ministry where I would, I mean, I was radical for Jesus in every single area of my life. Sometimes stupid, I know. And then slowly but surely, Jesus comes walking in. And I don't get further behind. I can remember him grimacing once, my hand was up, got out my Bible, struggling a bit. And my hand was outside my Bible. I loved God. I just had given my life to him. And I'd been in a ministry then for a few years. And I said, Jesus, you know where I live. Please don't forgive me. Doesn't that hurt? Father, I want to thank you that you've called us to make a difference in this world in which we live. You've called us, Father, to adopt a new culture. You've called us, Lord, to invest our lives in something, Father, which is far more eternal than the years that we live on the face of this earth. That many of those, Lord, that, that will die will go before us. Or we will go before them, Father, and see them, and our reward will be to see them in heaven with you. And so, Father, I want to pray that you will help us over this week, Father, as we spend some time just examining our own hearts and expecting, Lord, you to come by your power to deal with the things in our hearts, Father, that are not of you. Help us to have pure hearts. Sound mind, Lord. And follow you with everything we've got. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. If you want ministry, why don't you come to the front, beside either for healing or maybe you this morning have been convicted and God, you want to serve God, surrender your life to Him. Why don't you come? There'll be folks to pray with you in the front on that side. We'll keep this side open for traffic to go to the coffee.